welcome to Reaching Struggling Learners podcast, episode number 17. Uh, Before we get started, I just have to talk about for a minute how excited I am to be relaunching my business today. Um, I guess yesterday was the first official launch day, but I'm really excited because this name, this business is such a better representation of me and my values and what I want to, to contribute to the world of education. I've stated several times in that po- in this podcast that I feel like the education system can do better for struggling learners, and it is my hope, my wish to be a big part of making that change happen. Creating this podcast was one small step in that direction, and then this course correction with my business is another of what I think is going to be many steps in that direction. So I hope that you stick along this journey with me. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Today, I'd like to talk about something that has been a struggle for so many teachers I've worked with over the past several years, and that is determining what data should be collected for RTI. I know, I know it seems complicated, but once you get into working with RTI, I think you're going to see it's nearly as, it's not nearly as complicated as it seems. So let's make it just a little bit more clear today. Hi, I'm Jessica Curtis of Teaching Struggling Learners. I'm a boy mom and a veteran teacher. You're listening to the Reaching Struggling Learners podcast, where we talk all about helping students succeed academically, socially, and behaviorally. Thank you so much for tuning in. So I truly believe that teams are making RTI way more complicated than it really needs to be. So much so that teachers, wonderful, amazing, intelligent teachers, seem to be just utterly confused about what data they need to be collecting in order to meet the demands of RTI. And when I talk to teachers about it, a lot of times they do really look at it as demands. Um, I've been asked countless times, just what data do you want? What do you want? It's not not like that. And I, I hate that teachers feel like it's a demand. I hate that for them because it really doesn't have to be. I understand that that confusion means that the teachers are just struggling to give RTI and MTSS teams what they need to help make decisions. And that that whole, the confusion and the pressure, all of that is just slowing down the entire process, including slowing down getting supports for students in, in a good, timely manner. So I got to ask, are you one of those confused teachers? Because if so, you are in fantastic company. Some of the best teachers I know are utterly, completely confused and frustrated by this entire system. And even more so now with all, you know, the COVID, the questions, absences, the all this, it, it is, it's a lot. It's a lot going on right now. So let's get just a little bit of it cleared up, some of this confusion. The first thing that I think is confusing teams and teachers alike is the word data 
itself, I, the word data just seems to make people kind of stress. Like their backs just immediately like clench up and they're just like, I don't want to do that. And while I'm pretty sure everybody thinks numbers when they hear the word data, it's not just numbers. When we talk about data in terms of RTI and MTSS, what we're really talking about is a comparison between the baseline where the child is, is starting and their current skill level. As students work through the interventions, we should see an increase in skill level. But to decide if there's an increase, a decrease, or no response, we have to have that first data point, the baseline data. If a student is in the RTI process, there really should already be baseline data to show that the student is struggling in a certain area, right? If your student's in the process, but you don't know where they started or you know where they are right this minute because no initial data was collected, it's really important that you figure out exactly where they are right now and you have to give it a numerical level. I know a lot of teachers will, they'll come to me especially if they're talking about behavior. They say, well, he's just really disruptive in class. I understand that, but that's not a data point. Saying that a student is disruptive in class or is a poor reader is not something that we can graph. It's not something that we can put, put on a graph and show, hey, administrators, we need these extra supports for this student because they're a poor reader. Yes, you are an amazing professional teacher and you know your students. Unfortunately, your administrators don't. And the people that are holding the pocketbooks of education, they have no idea what they're talking about. They don't know what, what the difference is between a poor reader and a good reader. I mean, case in point, all of our education legislation. But I digress on that one. And I could digress for hours, but I won't because we're going to talk about RTI and how we can fix it. If you can assign a numerical level to where your student is, so if they are a poor reader, Okay, what reading level are they on right now? How many sight words do they know? How many words can they read in a minute on a grade level text? That, all those things, those are numbers we can actually put onto a graph and then we can see if the interventions that you gave that student, if they worked, if they worked really well, if they kind of worked, if they didn't work at all and the, you, the student is just m not making any progress. We have to have that first spot. So for example, you could do a quick assessment to find out, you know, for my younger teachers, that that student is able to identify 13 of the 26 letters of the alphabet, or maybe read at a rate of 15 words per minute. If you keep that number in mind, as you start your interventions, then you're gonna, you're gonna be able to use that later on to figure out if what you're doing is working. Now, I know I said graph. Please don't, don't get all anxious now and, and start getting all upset with me. As long as you're collecting really simple numerical information, a line graph is gonna work wonders for you to keep track of your progress and keep, just keep you on track and to help you report progress to 
other people, whether it's parents, whether it's other teachers, an RTI committee or administrators, or I mean, even a special education teacher that you're you're talking to and saying, hey, I think this student needs special education. If you have that graph ready to go, you can show them exactly where they are and what you've done to help them. So I'm getting ahead of myself again. Back to that baseline data. Once you have your starting point, whether it's a number of letters, words per minute, or percent of sight words that the student can identify, or maybe number of addition problems they can answer in a minute, write down that first number and keep it safe so that you can compare to it later on. Depending on the guidelines your school or county has, you may have to monitor which just means assess weekly, maybe twice a week. I've seen a couple places where they monitor three times a week. I personally think that's a little excessive, but I mean, that's just, you know, me. I'm no, no expert. So when the team asks you to monitor, it just really means that they want you to reassess that student in that skill area that you're tracking. So if you're worried about a student's letters or letter sound identification, that's the area that you're going to assess for that entire like six to nine period week time period, okay? You're going to want to use the same assessment each time that you check for progress. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have your, I don't know, you'll have 26 letters and they're all in the same chart and you show the exact same chart. You can do, you know, four or five different charts and you just try it out, you know, week to week. Uh, you, this week you do chart one, the next week you do chart two and so on. But the assessment itself should look very similar week to week, if that makes sense. That just helps uh, when, you're, when you're assessing. First of all, it makes the assessment go a little bit faster for the student because they already know what you're trying to do. And also it makes... It makes it so much easier to make sure that when you're assessing, you're assessing the exact same thing from week to week. And when you are assessing the same thing week to week, then that progress or regression in that skill area, it's going to come up. It, it's just it's going to show its face very, very quickly. So. One of the reasons that I just said, hey, it's important to make sure you use the same assessment week to week. I worked with a couple years ago, a teacher who was worried about the decoding skills for a student. And, you know, very lovely, wonderful teacher. She, she understood decoding. She understood what was going on. She was, she was doing fabulous. But three or four weeks into the intervention, she decided that, you know, the assessment that she was using, she didn't really like it anymore. And she started using this comprehension check. Um, and yeah, it had decoding the words. The student had to decode the words to be able to answer the comprehension questions. But she was no longer assessing the decoding that this the student was able to do. She's now assessing the comprehension, which is a very, very different skill set. And so when she came back to the team to present this data, you know, she had uh, the first, you know, three or four weeks of the chart was just going up really, really, like amazingly, the student was making massive progress. But then three or four weeks in, it just bottomed out. And when we started talking about, well, what happened? 
literally it was because she went from assessing the decoding, which she was making massive progress. The student was doing really, really well in that area because the intervention was focused on decoding. The intervention was not focused on comprehension. So when she changed up her assessment and the the focus of that assessment, that's when her graph got all wonky and she had to, you know, go and she had to collect some more data on the decoding. So that that's one of the reasons that you got to kind of be careful about what you're doing with that kind of stuff. And I know that a lot of teachers, it, it you, you're looking at reading, reading's reading. I understand that. But when you're talking about getting a student, especially if you're focused on getting them special education services, you really have to hone in on the very basic skill deficit, whether it's decoding or sight words or fluency or whatever it is, you have to make sure that you're only focused on that area. Otherwise, you're going to get some some kind of messy data and a student may or may not get services based on that data. So each week, you want to make sure that you're conducting the same assessment. Make sure that you keep a record of how that student performs each week, right? After you've collected a few data points, uh, you know, usually I like to do two or three, maybe even four at a time. You may want to go ahead and graph those points. I personally like to use Excel to graph my data, but you can also use like Google Sheets or, you know, if you want to go really old school, just do paper and pencil. It's not that big a deal. Just don't be intimidated by the graphing part of all this. Graphing just makes it easier for you to analyze the data and figure out if you should continue that intervention or maybe try something new or maybe even just tweak it. That, that graph can really be very helpful with all of that. I, like I said, I like to wait about three or four weeks before I try to determine if an intervention is helpful or not. Generally, if I see any improvement, I'm going to keep an intervention and just tweak it to make it better, just meet the needs of that student. I don't usually switch up interventions completely unless the student isn't making any progress or if they're regressing. That being said, if you've tried an intervention for six to nine weeks, which is, you know, that's kind of the gold standard in RTI, and you're seeing a little bit of progress, but not nearly enough for the student to meet that goal you set, you're probably going to want to tweak that intervention to make it stronger or more effective. Or you're going to want to really hone in a little bit more on exactly what the problem is that that student has. You may not, if the student isn't making progress, you may not have delved down deep enough into the very the foundational skill that's that's really causing the issue. Of course, you know, the goal is always to help that student meet grade level requirements. So you want the intervention to be really making a good amount of progress. I, I've had lots of teachers over the years ask me, well, what's a good amount of progress? What should we really be going for? The goal in RTI is that for the student to, to be able to meet grade level. That's always what we're going for. We want them to be able to meet grade level. Now, a student who's in ninth grade and reading at a third grade reading level, you're not going to, Rome was not built in a day. The child is not going to advance 
five grade levels overnight. It's, it's just not going to happen. But that being said, I have seen students make two and three grade levels of, of improvement over a school year. Um, so it is possible. You can help them make massive, massive gains with the right interventions, with the right focus. So sum all that up, because <laughs> I, I know I got a little winded there, or a little, little much. You really want to make sure that you have baseline data to start with. You want to have that starting point. And that the assessment you are using actually assesses the progress that the student is making on that specific skill set. Keep track of the results each time you assess that student. Don't don't lose that. Don't don't put it on a don't put it put it on a sticky note. I've done that, and then I've been really angry at myself later on. Make sure you put it on your form or you record it in a safe place. And then after you have a few data points, go ahead and graph that data. When you're ready to meet with your team, you're already going to have lots of good information to share. And if you're looking at that graph um, week to week or even every couple of weeks, you're going to have some ideas on how you can continue to, to support the student. And the closer that you look at that data, the more ideas you're going to have. It, it's I know a lot of teachers look at me like I've got 10 heads, but believe me, especially if you're looking at your data, your own data week to week, you know what you did with that student that week. You know what the activities were, you know what was what was going on. And if you see a big jump, you're going to have a pretty good idea what caused that big jump. And then you're going to want to repeat that, right? Because you want the same progress from as much as much as you can get it. So again, I want to, I want to encourage you to, to start looking at at the progress that your student is making week to week and change things up a little bit if it's not, if you're not getting the amount of progress that you feel like you should. I've been meeting with a lot of teams recently. So many teachers, I would say probably 99% are just incredibly frustrated with the RTI process. I really do think that that frustration comes from a process that's, that it's been made way more cumbersome than it has to be. The RTI process should be fluid, not at all intimidating, not this this massive weight on teachers' shoulders, another thing that they have to do. Honestly, so many teachers and schools are already doing so many of the things that that RTI is. They're already doing so much of it. They just may not be documenting it in a way that others can look at it, like administrators can look at it and say, yes, you guys need extra support for this subject or this this area or these students. By tracking what you're doing through consistent data collection, like weekly data collection, like I was just talking about, you can be an even stronger advocate for your students. It's one thing for an administrator to say that there's not, you know, there's just not funds. Yeah, the kids are struggling, but there's not funds. It is a whole lot harder for any administrator to argue with data that shows how much you've done for your student and how much support they need in order to make continued progress. I'll be honest, I've had 
administrators in the past that you could go to them and you could say, hey, Johnny is struggling in reading. And their response would be, okay, put them in a small group. I've done that. And, and the, the conversation goes on and on and on. And by the end of this 30-minute conversation, I've finally explained num- numerous things that I've done for this child. And at the end, the administrator goes, oh, wow, yeah, that student really does need help. Where's the data? And then I, you know, slap myself in the face because, you know, I didn't bring it or I didn't collect it or whatever. Teachers, you are amazing. Teachers, you are doing all the right things. But that isn't always well communicated to administrators. Administrators don't know all the things that are going on in your classroom. Should they? Yes. Do they? No. We as educators, we all close our doors and we do what's right for the kids. We put them in small groups and we we give them, you know, we give them the extra supports in the classroom. But if you're not writing it down, if you're not collecting that data, then nobody knows. And that, unfortunately, a lot of the times is the reason that there is a delay in getting kids services. How many times have you, especially upper grades like elementary school teachers, there's a kid that comes to you, maybe you're a fifth grade teacher, and all the teachers before them said, oh yeah, man, man, Susie, we've been helping her for all these years. And you as a fifth grade teacher look at this kid and you go, why is this child not getting actual supports? Why am, why, why, why is this happening? Honestly, most of the time, it's because that child was kind of getting supports under the table. The teachers were doing their jobs. They were doing a good job and they were, they were giving her differentiated assignments and they were giving her maybe extra time, maybe when they shouldn't have been doing that. But that's another episode. They've been giving supports. They've been giving extra tutoring. They've been giving and giving and giving, but not documenting all the giving that they've been doing. Take credit for what you are doing. Document, document, document. If you don't document it, then unfortunately, the powers that be are not going to understand. They're they're not going to see that you have a student that truly needs extra supports. So... I've had a few people ask me to talk about how to analyze the data. Um, that's definitely something that we'll talk about in an upcoming episode. Uh, that's really just an episode in and of itself because I know, generally speaking, if the line's going up, then yeah, you're doing great. If the line goes down, it's a problem. But there, there's some nuance to it that I don't want to stress you out with, you know, right now when I'm already at over 20 minutes. In the meantime... I really do hope that this episode was helpful. If you have questions, please message me on Instagram, uh, Teaching Struggling Learners, or you can get, you know go to the Facebook page, Teaching Struggling Learners on Facebook. Um, I really would love to have a conversation. And if, I mean, seriously, if there are questions that you have, I would love to answer them. I'd love to discuss them. And if, you know, I know that graphing and data is, can be pretty intimidating. I, 
if there's a way that I can help it help you out and make it feel <laughs> less frightening, I want to know. I, I really do because there's no reason for the amount of stress that teachers are feeling on this process. There really is no reason for that. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the Reaching Struggling Learners podcast, episode 17. Please leave me a comment, send me a message. I want to know how you like the show. I want to know how I can better serve my my audience. Uh, I would love for you to leave a rating. Just, you know, it makes it easier for others to find the podcast, but also it helps me know, you know, what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. Until next time, may your coffee be strong, your computer charged, and your hand sanitizer filled up. Bye. Bye.